I want to welcome this evening to Children and Families Education Circle on behalf of Mount Olive Ministries. And we are pleased to be live this evening with our special guest. Uh, we are just delighted to have Miss Lorraine Green Whitehead with us on this evening. We need you to help us tonight. Go ahead and text somebody, share this uh, with a friend, let somebody know that uh, we are live this evening via Facebook, also via podbean.com. And so thank you once again, Ms. Whitehead, for agreeing to participate uh, this evening in our Children and Families Education Circle. Father, we say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your precious people that are joining us tonight. We thank you for the power of the spirit life of the word that will rest mightily, that this teaching tonight will go uninterrupted, this session tonight, and that those who will go back and even listen to the podcast will be able to gain some very helpful resources and strategies to help them as they navigate in their everyday lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, we want to start this evening. We want to start this evening by just sharing, uh, just sharing an introduction. The National Child Traumatic Stress Network says that when a child experiences or witnesses an event that makes them feel threatened, uh, they are being traumatized, meaning that they are subjected to a lasting or continual state of shock. Uh, the various types of childhood trauma can range from childhood neglect uh, to sexual assault, bullying to domestic violence, painful medical procedures to the loss of a loved one, war trauma uh, to natural disasters, homelessness to chronic poverty and so much more. This evening we have with us again Mrs. Lorraine Green Whitehead and Mrs. Green Whitehead is the executive director of Weston Tidewater Early Childhood and we are delighted to have her uh, begin to share some resources with us uh, this evening. So hopefully you will share this information with others. If you have questions, uh, questions or would like to comment at the end of her presentation, please feel free to do so. At this time, let's receive Mrs. Lorraine Green Whitehead. Welcome, Lorraine. Good afternoon or good night. Or hello, <laughs> uh, I guess would be the appropriate thing to say. I'm going to go ahead and start with relationships and resilience. Is that it? Go ahead. Yes. Okay. Um, we are supporting students living with trauma, violence, and constant stress. And the help me, the help me plea comes in many forms. And often it comes in forms that we want to punish because those who have been in trauma, violence, and constant stress are ones that act out also. In other words, those who need the most love are often those who we um, we want to discipline rather than, than, than give the most love to. Brokenness and healing. Maslow before Bloom. Um, what the world is looking for, school jobs in life, is higher level thinking. And a lot of you have heard about Bloom's taxonomy and open-ended questions and how it goes from remember, understand, apply, analyze, evaluate, and create, all the way to create. But Maslow 
says that our basic needs must be met first. You can't bloom before you've Maslowed. And for um, Maslow, it's our physiological needs of breathing, food, water, sleep, and homeostasis that have to come first. And then safety, security of body, employment, resources, morality, family, health, and property to loving and feeling belong, self-esteem, and then self-actualization. But all of that is based on the physiological needs being met first. So you can't bloom before you've Maslow. The number one job of the brain is survival, just like Maslow was talking about. It's the number one job. That has to be met before anything, before the brain is going to allow you to participate in anything else. It's going to make sure that you have met those basic needs. Again, breathing, food, water, and then safety, security, all of that has to come first. A child or a student that is hungry or like uh, Ms. Leonard said, uh, feels threatened, um, they, they cannot learn. All, the, all their brain is doing is focusing on survival and meeting those basic needs. We must first address basic physical needs, safety, including both physical and emotional safety for children will be prepared to learn. Interestingly enough, emotionally unsafe is more damaging than physically unsafe long-term for children. Hope is an anchor for the soul. We can reach more students than we've ever been able to in the history of man, thanks to technology now. We have a better understanding of what's going on in the brains of children who have experienced trauma. Uh, we have models of the brain now. We have spec scans of normal brains to know what they're supposed to look like. We understand where in the brain all of the um, functions occur. We understand the inside of the brain with the hippocampus and the amygdala and other structures related to learning and emotions. There's magazines now and articles on how a child's brain develops. And I really like the article on building better brains that's in this magazine. Uh, so what does the research show us? What does the research tell us? Now, this to me is uh, almost amazing. Every child has at birth a greater potential than intelligence than Leonardo da Vinci ever used. But when you look at the difference in children and their achievement in school, in um, college, life, career, it's almost amazing the stark difference in children who've experienced trauma or chronic stress and distress versus those who haven't. So the take-home message is children of poverty and neglect have significantly different brains. Their brains can change for the better. So our questions, five questions tonight, what is poverty, neglect, and ACEs? Can and do brains change as a result of experience? Do children in poverty and neglect have different experiences than higher socioeconomic children? And is this a crisis or opportunity? Mm -hmm. So what's your personal perception of poverty? Right. This picture came from a third world country of poverty in a third world country. This is the kitchen and bathing area of one of my students from the 90s. 
the uh, indoor plumbing was a water hose run through that back window uh, right here and then hooked up to the spigot. The plumbing going out of the house, it simply poured onto the floor and went through a hole in the floor there. That's why the floor looks like that. It's not that it's dirty. It's simply that it's, it's rotting. And then that uh, tub in the middle of the floor is where they bathe. That house is torn down now, but this, this one is not. This is uh, the home uh, of one of our students that lives in um, Southampton County. This is just one of many. Poverty is a chronic condition affecting the mind, body, and soul, and is also defined as lack of access to basic human resources. Now, this is the poverty level of children in Southampton County public schools right here. You see that uh, for Riverdale, it's 76% poverty. Meharan, 75. Southampton Middle School, 70%. Capron, 70%. Nottaway, 61%. And the high school, 47%. For Franklin City, the poverty levels reach as high as 90%. Adverse childhood experiences are the ACE study, reveals the link between ACE and later life health, disease, and early death. You see um, that at the bottom, the adverse childhood experiences, there's social, emotional, and cognitive impairment, adoption of health risk behaviors, disease, disability, and social problems, and early death. In the um, 1970s, I taught at uh, Newsom's Elementary School and it was um, severe poverty there. And I want you to know that in one class alone, I've already heard of six of my students that have experienced early death. And only two of that class graduated from high school. Significant adverse risk factors, community violence, disabilities, chronic illness or delayed development, social isolation of families, parents' lack of understanding of the children's needs in child development, Family disorganization, dissolution, violence, including partner abuse and substance abuse, parental stress and distress, including depression or other mental health conditions, and poor parent-child relationships and negative interactions, if any interactions at all. And these are the adverse um, childhood experiences, um, the trauma that Ms. Leonard was talking about earlier. Um, the brain, however, the good the news is the brain is malleable. We know that brains absorb positives. It quickly learns brand new languages, picks up cultures and family experiences. But this same brain also absorbs negatives. It absorbs toxins, mixed messages, apathy, problems, fear, anger, threats, or violence. That leaves scars. Genes and the environment. But this to me is a, a, a very interesting. It shows that only 20% of um, a child's ex gene expression is actually the genes. The rest of it is um, behaviors and experiences that actually um, determine the expression of the genes for, for humans. So kids download the negatives of chaos, dis Disharmony, poor relationships, abusive language, poor manners, weak vocabulary just as quickly and adjust automatically as they would any positive or enrichment activity. From ages 
zero to five, the world is downloaded into the brain. Brains change as a result of experience. The brain on the left is, has been exposed to extreme neglect for three years and is 35% smaller than a child that has not experienced adverse childhood experiences. The same thing here, this is um, showing on the, the left, the lack of act, excuse me, the, on the right, the um, temporal lobes of a child that has been neglected and then on the right, a healthy child, and notice the um, greater activity in the, those areas of the brain. Areas of contrast to poverty. First is emotional support. They, children from poverty or neglect are more likely to hear less responsive, fewer supportive, and less interactive home conversations. They get less quality time and less total time from their parents or caregivers. Areas of contrast, again, we have now cognitive stimulation. Parents are less likely to begin conversations just to maintain social contact or build vocabulary. Kids watch far more TV or, or on screen time than their uh, above poverty level peers. Children hear very different vocabulary, fewer words and less complex words. There's the 30 million word gap for children that are in high-risk neighborhoods. Poor families cannot afford quality child care, stimulating toys, recreational books, uniforms, school supplies, scouts or camp, or private music lessons or dance lessons. Stress or distress. Children in stress driven families move twice as often, get evicted five times as much, develop fewer social ties, have greater chaos and disruption, experience family job loss, and worry about money more. Chronic stress is known as distress. Poor, neglected children are exposed to more stressors, more intense stressors, longer lasting stressors, and have fewer coping skills. Distress or threat changes the blood flow in the brain. Less blood flows into the frontal lobe area of the brain that is in the higher level areas of the brain where higher level thinking actually occurs. It stays in the uh, midbrain more often where uh, it is the emotional processor with freeze flea of fight. And if uh, all of you all who are educators know that the frontal lobe is the area of the brain that's also involved with ADHD. So that's one of the reasons that a lot of children that live in um, stressful uh, or, or distress uh, often have ADHD. And this shows you again, more blood flow to areas that process emotions and fewer options for more thoughtful decision-making. And again, this is just another diagram to show that activity. More activity in the emotional cycling part of the, or worry part of the brain. Stress, violence, and distress. Poor, neglected children are more likely to experience crime within one's neighborhood. Household income is inversely related to exposure to family violence. Domestic violence is associated with lower IQ in young children. 
They experience more chronic stress, up to 35% more daily hassles, live in crowded homes, suffer from stress and mental health problems due to difficulty paying bills. This, is, this shows the effects of distress on neurons in the brain. The neuron on the left is a normal neuron of, of a child or person from a, not, an environment that's not so stressful, and then on the right is stress. Now, how much time or exposure to distress, distress would you predict it would take for a neuron to wither like, like it's shown? Like two hours a day for two months, 30 minutes a day, one hour a day, or 10 minutes a day? Anybody care to guess? That's a lot of withering there. 10 minutes a day for five days. It does not take much stress to start our brain pruning off um, the neurons and going to the um, protection mode. Effects of chronic stress, emotional problems, lower IQ, lower reading scores, memory loss, shortened dendrites, neuron death, and inappropriate attachments. They have more toxic exposure, lead, poisons, and hazards. The drawing on the left is a healthy brain, and the drawing on the right is a same-age student who had exposure to local pesticides. Fourth-grade student of poverty. This is uh, a clock, a flag, and um, another flag a fourth grade student. Health and safety issues. Traffic, they get exposed to 50% more street crossings. Peers, they have more contact with aggressive peers. Dysregulation of the stress response, and that's very bad for health. The um, trailer that you're looking at there, the children's play area is under the trailer. They go in there where you see the opening in the side of the trailer. There's toys and shoes under there. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the 23851 zip code, which in, includes Southampton Meadows, um, has um, it contributed to Franklin City being declared the most dangerous city to live in in the state of Virginia. I'm having to move the thing around here. Health and safety issues. Families from poverty are more likely than non-poor families to live in homes with non-working water heaters, non-working toilets, rats, mice, or roaches, more than one person per bedroom, and exposed household wiring. Children of poverty and neglect are far less likely, far less likely to get needed medical care for falls or head injuries, mental illness, depression, physical impairment, and behavior disorders. The brain is most susceptible to the effects of poor nutrition during the early years of brain development. Elevated utility bills and cold winter are inversely related to quality of nutritional intake in low-income infants and toddlers, especially. So brains of poverty, neglect, and trauma, they're going to be different. Well, is this reality a crisis or an opportunity? And we take it as an opportunity. Fortunately, brains can and do change for the better. 
overwhelm or hope. The good news is many long-term studies have shown that we can make a significant and lasting positive impact on children of poverty knowing that we can help change their brains. Is money the solution? Not directly. A new home might, change, might make changes in the brain, but there's much more work to be done to recover the damage from whatever the source of the, um, the trauma. Like uh, Dr. Leonard was talking about early, there's a long list of um, things that can cause trauma. Number one factor in student achievement is relationship. Love. Research found that learning environment, I got to move this, that um, learning environment um, made more difference to child's intellectual social environment than parental education or occupation. When a supportive adult spends more time with a child and shows interest in them, it can improve self-esteem. A child who has self-belief is more likely to be happy happy a happy child is more likely to perform well in school we contribute to these children's resilience i love that word resilience resilience is the result of a highly interactive process you hear that between individual characteristics in the person and the environment in which that individual has developed. It's really the counterbalancing of difficult things that may exist in the child's life with positive things that occur with the family, but even positive things that may exist in the community. The easy way of thinking about resilience is like a, a scale. Um, with a fulcrum in the, in the middle of it. And there are things on both sides of that scale, experiences of both bad things or good things. Our genes shape where the fulcrum is positioned at the start. There are certain genes that make a child more sensitive to the effects of maltreatment or parental neglect or witnessing violence. The fulcrum may start out kind of more towards one side, or more towards the other side, then that's going to make a big difference in terms of how much these subsequent events affect things positively or negatively. Science tells us that experience moves the fulcrum for better or for worse. Even though we are born with genes, genes will respond differently to certain environmental situations as opposed to others. What the genes are actually doing are turning up or turning down the expression of chemicals in circuits in the brain and the circuitry in the entire body that, that govern our responses to stress, to anxiety, to depressive symptoms. When positive experiences accumulate and children learn coping skills that help them to manage stress, the fulcrum can slide, so the scale tilts toward positive outcomes more easily. That's what resilience is all about. There's always an adult or more than one adult who is key to providing that relationship that helps to build resilience. Relationships, all that really matter. 
Without relationships, children won't flourish or pass critical tests. But I mean, I'm not saying that tests are the all in all, but they they are a reality. But to me, they they need to flourish. We want our children to flourish. We must create environments that ensure success. There are only three behaviors associated with perceived threat. Failure registers in the brain as a threat. And also for men being wrong. <laughs> That's kind of a joke, but it's reality. <laughs> I mean, really, how many of you have ever noticed that when a man is wrong, it really, it really gets to them. They get a little agitated uh, because it's registering in their brain as a threat. The three F's of uh, a perceived threat are freeze, flee, or fight. With not the weak of an eye difference between any of them. We are either in growth mode or survival mode. The two do not exist. We're either in protection mode or growth mode. Help assure success. Your success is assured here. That's a poster that Eric Jensen, who I did the brain research under, he had that poster up in every uh, conference that we went to. Your success is assured here. And he wanted um, to recommend that teachers and people who work with children, if you don't have that up in writing, to send that message to them. I've got your back. I'm in your corner. Your success is assured here. First thing we, that we need to do is diagnose academic abilities. Don't ask them to do something you know they cannot do. That puts the brain in more stress or distress. And some uh, of the research says it's actually um, just a travesty to require anything from anybody that they don't have the skills or support to achieve because it's only actually doing more trauma to the brain. Immediate non-judgmental feedback, address the behavior. I like the way your crayon stayed on the paper. I always find something positive to say about a child's attempt. Scaffold steps towards accomplishing the task. Celebrate successes and attempts. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Once a child has something, you have to keep repeating it and revisiting it. Does it hurt? Conversely, failure and stress inhibit serotonin and dopamine will not be released. Those are the, uh, the neurotransmitters that are required in the brain to be happy, but also for learning to occur. Cortisol in the brain is the chemical of stress. And information and the place associated with will be stored with avoid that. We're always learning something. Sometimes it's just avoid that. We, with consistent success, students will begin to see themselves as readers or learners with self-efficacy. They must be given re uh, reachable goals and the means to support to reach them. Self-efficacy is the belief that one is capable of accomplishing a behavior or developing a competency. It's not just self-esteem, it's, it's self-belief. Self-convinced, and you all remember like once um, Dorothy, uh, I, I know you all have to be familiar with The Wizard of Oz, but once Dorothy convinced the scarecrow that he was capable, then he became capable. That's what self-efficacy is. 
and they're finding, I mean, self-esteem is, is good. We, we want to feel good about ourselves, but we also have to believe in ourselves and believe that we are capable. There's nothing more important to learning than assuring success in a positive climate. How to build self-esteem. Self-esteem is about liking yourself and who you are. For children, it comes from knowing that you're loved and that, that you belong to a family or people that value you. Compliment the effort, not the outcome. Verbal encouragement can keep your children motivated and help them recognize their accomplishments. But when you're dishing out praise, focus on the efforts your kids put into their successes rather than the end result. Encourage your, st your students or your children to take risks. It has to be a safe risk-taking environment. Like, if I get it wrong, I'm not going to be punished. Be a good role model. Students are watching you more closely than you might think. They imprint what we do, whether it's what we say in words or how we take care of ourselves. Help, helping students build self-esteem really helps with your own self-esteem. If you take good care of yourself physically and radiate confidence, your students will naturally pick up on those same self-loving habits. I call taking care of others, helping others, loving others the real soul food. Do you know how powerful you are? You have the power to reverse the effects of poverty and trauma in children. That is powerful. They say that money is power. But love is the most powerful force in the universe. More powerful than money. Do you have a lot of money or do you have a lot of love? That's why I love that song. It's going to take a lot of love. Although my sister would say it don't sound like that. But it's going to take a lot of love. Money's okay, but it's not going to do it. The number one factor that affects learning capacity is love. This is, this is research. This isn't just like some uh, woo-woo stuff. This is hardcore brain research. Knowing someone cares and relationship. Being a positive force in the lives of children, especially those from poverty or trauma. Hope is an anchor for the soul. The foundation is relationship. All successful engagement is based on three rules, respect. And we, I went to, I have heard teachers over the years talk about that child is not respecting the, about the disrespect that children have and then see them disrespecting children. Uh, this is year 46 uh, for me in the school system, and it's like um, there's a book called The Twelve Commandments of Good Teaching, and then they wrote an, a, another edition that was The Thirteen Commandments of Good, of Good Teachers, and the number one was that I have to be the model of respect, that a lot of these children have not been modeled respect. They don't know what respect is. We can't expect them to be showing us respect, especially if we're disrespecting them. Relationships show you care about them and hope. You must never, ever give up on them. They'll sense it and give up on you and themselves. Be careful with your uh, word choice. When they make a mistake, students can be extra sensitive uh, to words. What's wrong with you? Do you know how many times I've been asked in my lifetime what's wrong with you? <laughs> and after a while, you start thinking, is something wrong with me? So the, the new, uh, or it's not so new, the new language is what's happened to you, what happened, not what's wrong with you, what happened to you.
self-convinced state. Eminem says, I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, then why would you say I am? You are much more than you've been led to believe. If you want your children to improve, let them overhear the nice things you say about them to others. Offer appropriate praise. Although praise is often misused when it's specific and earned, it is a valuable self-esteem builder. Okay, I already said this one. Basic needs. Basic needs along with food, shelter, water, a place to live and grow, and air to breathe is to feel loved and wanted. And again, that is hardcore research. Basic needs to feel loved and wanted. Self-esteem is about liking yourself and who you are. For children, it comes from knowing that you're loved and that you belong to a family that values you. Uh, help them embrace failure. Teach students that failure is often a necessary step to finding success and letdown shouldn't hold them back from trying again. If they fall short, find an opportunity to learn and grow. It's all about choices. How do we make the next best choice to recover from failure? Plus, teach your students ways to stop the damage of negative self-talk. Encourage your students to take risk, and again, in a self-safe risk-taking environment. Sometimes a person needs to hear these three words. And you think right away, it's, I love you, because everybody wants to hear, I love you. But also, they need to hear, I've got you. You've got this. Help children find their skills and gifts. Education is about healing and wholeness. It's about helping the next generation find and claim themselves and their place in this world. Be a good role model. We already talked about that. Um, trust, safety, and a positive relationship. Only when we have established um, trust, safety, and a positive relationship will our students be able to move on through the hierarchy of thinking of uh, that we talked about earlier, and be able to actually be happy. What can you do for student relationships? Use their names, greet them as often as possible, get, get physical with stretching, walking, games, relays, dancing, aerobics, deep breathing. They need time to connect with other children. Uh, create routines that are consistent and fun, celebrations, reports, and openings and closings. Eliminate threat and any peer embarrassments get students to set goals and check on them. And I'm also on the um, Housing and Urban Development Committee. And that's one of the things that um, we do for the, um, the residents of the, the housing is that they, they set goals and um, work towards those goals, give students choices to increase control. Art is valuable. And again, assure success. Meditation, walks, journaling, and soft music. Learn about state management. All right. I know that my time is running out, but I want y'all to hear this. Let me see if I can get it up here. It is time to take off. I'm getting close to the end, I promise. William Sorry, I messed up. William Chandler. The
this is what he said. Will you, Jack Frost, bow to watch over the children of the world, to guard them with your life, their hopes, their wishes, and their dreams, for they are all that we have, all that we are, and all that we will ever be. I like that. You are a guardian. And then also like this. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. My only hope. Um, when I was working on my certification in applied educational neuroscience, I one of my um, sessions was in Portland, Oregon, and the next one was in San Diego, California. And in between, I had a day, so I went to the mountaintop of Mount St. Helens. And when I was up there, I just wanted to go home because I'd been traveling all over the United States to get this certification. And I just wanted to go home. And uh, one of my students, Sally Vick, who teaches at Franklin S.P. Morton um, Elementary School, um, she, she had told me this, exactly what uh, Leah is saying right here. When I was uh, working with her uh, as in first grade for reading, um, teaching her reading in the reading lab, she grabbed me one day and said, Ms. Green, you're my only hope. For many of these children, you are their only hope. The light at the end of their tunnel may just be you. What part will you play in their journey? Okay, remember the tin, the tin man, to me, um, you tell, can tell I love the Wizard of Oz. Remember, he was frozen in his path. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't even move his arms. He couldn't even couldn't even move his mouth until one person, one person came along and picked up that oil can. And he, it, it, it changed his life. So will you pick up the oil can or leave it out of the tin man's reach? That's all I have to say about that. Any questions? The light at the end of the tunnel may just be you. Thank you so much, uh, Lorraine, this evening. This has been an excellent presentation. Uh, something that we want to definitely take away would be crisis or opportunity, crisis or opportunity, especially for the faith-based uh, community. What is it that we can do uh, as believers uh, to minister to not just our congregations? When we see people coming in, a lot of times we associate that with it being a congregation. But when we look at social justice and advocating for social justice, we want to minister to our communities and ministering to the community may not be uh, you on being on a dais, uh, may not be you in a Sunday school class, but it means to get down in the trenches to actually do the work, do the work of the community to help make a difference in the world. So crisis or opportunity, I want to see, yes, uh, a lot of this is a crisis. We've also talked about uh, whether their right to read and literacy is a social justice issue tonight. Uh, she talked tonight about crisis versus opportunity. There's so many things that is affecting our children and our families, and we want to make sure that we are providing the necessary resources and tools. 
Uh, tonight, Lorraine, you shared a lot of data and statistics. Uh, we want you to know that these this is public information. It is public statistics. Uh, you can gather this information uh, in, in your localities, regardless of where you live. And she uh, tonight spoke from her personal experiences and in the regions in which she has had experience. But we all, regardless of whether you're in the state of Virginia, any in, any state, or country, we do have a global ministry, you may be uh, faced with childhood trauma. Uh, you may be faced with dealing with children who are from families with, that are experiencing domestic violence. And so they're coming into our classrooms, in our churches, and we want to be properly prepared to minister to the whole child to minister to the entire family. And so tonight we do have a couple of more minutes. So if you are on tonight and you have questions for Lorraine, we would ask you at this time to please ask questions or if you have comments, anything you would like to share, please do so at this time. Okay, I don't think we have any questions tonight, uh, Lorraine. So do you have any closing remarks? Something that I, I definitely I want to take away tonight. What part will I play in a child's journey? I get a little emotional when I think about that. I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about helping families and helping children. And so I want to shine the light on myself tonight. What part will I play uh, whether it's a kind word, uh, providing a resource, uh, sharing resources with families that may be able to help them. Uh, understanding, you, whenever we are working with our families or children, we want to be understanding. We'll have empathy, I should say. Uh, so tonight, crisis or opportunity for the faith-based community, let's look at this. Look at the crisis as an opportunity uh, for us to minister. Uh, that's spirit, soul, and body. That's total prosperity. Minister to the total man, the total family. And so, uh, Lorraine, at this time, we'll ask you to provide closing uh, closing comments. Um, for me, um, if you're talking about like how, how would this relate to the church and to faith, when the slide that says that love is the most powerful force yes in the yes god is love he is love yes god is love yes and and the brain research i mean again the brain research says that the most powerful tool that we have to increase a child's recovery from distress and trauma yes and even in learning is love yes and you know Many of us may not have a lot of money, but as the song says, um, I, I also, in one of my presentations, I started off with what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Everything. And that's all I got to say. Yes. Uh, something else, you know, I'm looking back at my notes as you were closing. Trauma. We want to drive this point home also tonight. She shared that trauma leaves scars, regardless of the trauma. It leaves lifetime scars and healing takes place through love. So thanks, Lorraine. It takes place through love when we're able to share, show love. Uh, and so we pray tonight that she has said something 
uh, that you are able to uh, to take and use in your everyday life. And we pray that you've been empowered by the words that are shared, the statistics that have been given uh, and everything that she has shared tonight, even with the research about the brain, the brain development. Uh, so, so thank you for that as well. And then, then you also said, I want to go back when we talk about love, also hope. She shared that hope is the anchor for the soul, that hope. Let's make sure that in our everyday lives, in our communication with families and children, that we are sharing a message of hope, a message of hope, a message that we care and that the resilience, I think you shared the video on resilience. We do want to be resilient. So let's close tonight with a prayer. Father, we say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this precious time as we have empowered families tonight and empowered those who have participated and will go back and listen to the podcast to make a difference in the lives of children and families that we will see the crisis as an opportunity. We thank you now and we give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for all who have participated in our children and families education circle this month. We will pause for the month, take a break for this for the month of July and the month of August, and we will resume our, our sessions and our um, webinars in the month of September, in the month of September. So uh, you want to stay connected to Mount Olive Ministries. And thank you again, uh, Lorraine, for being with us tonight. I'm Andrea Leonard, a senior pastor and shepherd of Mount Olive Ministries. And want to thank all of you who paused in your evening uh, to share and participate. Many blessings for a productive summer, a productive summer. Put a book in a child's hand this summer. Help them be a reader. Thank you again, Lorraine. Thank you so much for your participation. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. I do like being in in person better, but (laughs) by whatever means. But listen, and you got it done tonight, even able to share your screen. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those trees.